Hey everybody, welcome to the Humanity of Christianity podcast. I'm your host, Robin. In this episode, you're going to meet Lori. Lori is a follower of Jesus who cares deeply about religious freedom. For me, I want to know that I'm going to be able to exercise my faith and live it out and that that is going to be protected. As a lawyer who works in Washington, D.C., Lori came into the national spotlight when she worked on the famous Hobby Lobby case. But she doesn't just care about religious freedom for Christians, but for all religions. Frankly, the best way to have strong laws is to have strong laws that protect everybody, whether I think they're right or whether I think they're wrong. In our conversation today, we'll talk about protecting constitutional rights, how she balances her faith with work and home, and we'll even talk a little bit about Star Wars. Her story is representative of loving your neighbor as yourself, even when you don't agree. Thanks for joining us. Here we go. Uh, Lori, thank you so much for being part of the Humanity Christianity podcast. Robin, thank you so much for having me on. Great. So um, it, I'm glad to see another face during, you know, Corona teen or whatever they call it. So, uh, so you're uh, just tell, tell me a little bit about what you do. What is it? Uh, I know you're involved with law, but what are you involved with specifically? Yeah. So I am for goodness, 14, almost 15 years now, I've been working for a small nonprofit called the Beckett Fund, and our work is focused exclusively on religious freedom. And we defend religious freedom in the courts, and we do it for people of all different faiths. And, you know, this can come up in all kinds of different contexts. It comes up in prisoners with whether you can exercise your faith in prison. It comes up with land use, whether churches uh, and synagogues can be able to build on their land. And it comes up sometimes in more controversial contexts as well. So it's been really um, interesting and wide ranging set of work to do. Wow, that's really cool. So it's uh, one of the things that you said was it's religious freedoms of all religious groups. So it's not just Christian. Right. And that's one thing that really makes us distinctive and one reason why I went to work there. Um, when I was starting to study this and learn more about the law in college and then in law school, there's a lot of thinking about, you know, I care really deeply about religious freedom. I care that my rights are protected. And then, you know, what does that mean when you take that out of just an idea and you put it in a courtroom or you put it into the law? And, you know, look back at history and the best way to make sure that happens is just to protect them across the board for everybody. Um, otherwise you get in a situation where you're picking winners and losers and you're picking who's right and who's wrong. And that always ends up going sideways. And so I became convinced that if you're going to do religious freedom work, it's really important to recognize that these principles apply across the board. And then from there, you figure out how they apply to a particular person in a particular case. Um, and so that's why I was so interested in going to work at Beckett, because that's the approach that they took, was defending it for everybody. Wow, that's really cool. I think um, you know, one of the purposes of what um, this podcast was all in my mind as I was thinking about it was, you know, we have all these labels and society and even within the church, we kind of have these labels that we kind of just paint all Christians as being. Um, and usually we miss the point that we're all human. Um, you know, we see the, we, we don't see the trees for the forest so we see the forest, but you know, I find the trees so much more interesting. Um, and you know, usually there's like this big brush that Christians only care about Christianity. How do you reconcile like your faith that Jesus is the way, the truth and life with what's going on there? I think that's the hardest part about being an American Christian. How do you reconcile those? 
it is hard and I think we all kind of have our own ways of, of figuring out how we're going to do that. And so, you know, of course, for me, it's about, you know, following God and honoring him and how I live my life and, you know, what I do as a mom and as a member of the church and as a woman and as a wife and, um, you know, and also what I do in my work. And for me, I want to know that I'm going to be able to exercise my faith and live it out and that that is going to be protected. Um, but I'm also convinced that the best way to do that is to make sure that there are really strong laws in place that are going, uh, that are going to protect us. And frankly, the best way to have strong laws is to have strong laws that protect everybody, whether I think they're right or whether I think they're wrong. And it, it's interesting when you have these conversations with people about different cases and different issues that come up. I think when we're talking about people who are, who are other Christians and within our own faith, we tend to often think about it in terms of like, are they right or are they wrong? You know, are they right about what God is telling us to do? And we want to have that like theological conversation first. When we start to take it outside of that and think about somebody in another faith, um, when you want to talk about like, you know, the, the Jewish day school or, um, you know, the Hindu temple or whoever it may be, um, I think it's easier sometimes for people then to start thinking in terms of rights. Like, okay, I think that they're wrong about what they're doing, but do they have the right to do it? You know, when should you restrict it? When should you not? And so sometimes it's actually easier to kind of have those conversations and think about it in legal terms when you're thinking about somebody who you don't agree with. And yeah. so the, the theological conversation is just kind of off the table and then it becomes about, okay, what are the rules here and how are we supposed to apply them? Wow. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that through that lens, but that is, and that's really helpful. Um, I, I think some of the, the, the hardest parts for me is trying to separate what I believe and what I know the Bible teaches, and, you know, those sort of things, and also what I believe the Constitution says. I mean, and I'm no, I'm no constitutional lawyer. I do well just to be able to, uh, I mean, I've, I'm not very good in that area. That's not my training. But I think that, you know, what's, what's funny is social media world we live in now, everybody's a constitutional expert. At least they think <laughs> they are. You know, uh, I've thought before of, um, uh, of those memes or those pictures where they say, don't confuse your whatever, my degree with your Google search or something, you know. Um, so you, you are right in the thick of that, though. That's very helpful in trying to think through that lens. What? What has been probably the most exciting part of your job? Um, you know, the exciting part for me is getting to go and, um, you know, meet with different clients and have, you know, just very different beliefs and very different experiences and hear their stories and talk to them and help them on their cases. And so um, that's been that's been a really uh, fun thing because I've been involved in some really controversial stuff regarding foster care and adoption recently I've spent a lot of time with foster and adoptive families and talking to them about you know their stories and what their experiences have been and what that's been like and it's just been um, you know really joyful to learn more about the way that they're stepping into these incredibly difficult situations and and serving and welcoming and loving these kids in their homes and so you know just being able to um, to go out and to see the different ways, you know, across the country and across all sorts of different places and ways people are living out their faith. That's awesome. So um, you say controversial. Um, I know that you were involved in the Hobby Lobby case. Um, 
What was that like? You know, so that was, it was really fantastic. Um, I think every lawyer when they go to law school thinks, oh, I want to be in some big landmark case. And then suddenly you're there and it's like, what do you do? <laughs> um, there are a couple of really kind of interesting and unexpected things that I learned in that case. Um, and one of them was, you know, I had never had the experience of seeing a big story develop from the beginning. And, you know, you start off and you've got this case and you know it's going to be filed and you know it's probably going to be high profile. I had no idea how high profile. And one thing that was interesting to me is you, you, you learn about how to tell the story and you, you know, talk to the family and you understand the situation and you bring it to court. And then the other side has their say. And what's so interesting to me is that I feel like when we, when we try to make sense and process what's going on in the media and what are the big stories, we have these boxes that we put things into, these big narratives, you know, like, you know, government versus evangelicals and, you know, Wall Street versus Main Street and employers versus employees and, um, you know, and religious people and women. And yeah. what happens is you kind of take these, these things that happens and you, they start, people start trying to put them into that box and make them fit that framework or another. It's just kind of how we make sense of things. And so for me, that's also changed going forward. When I look at a case, I think, how is this story going to be told? Because it's often going to be told in a way you don't expect um, because people do try and make stuff fit the narrative um, of what's going on around them. Yeah. Wow. So, and when that case went to the Supreme court, did you, you didn't do the arguing for the case, like in the Supreme court, how does that all work? So it's, you know, I say it's kind of like being on a football team. You've got, you know, the star quarterback who goes in and, and does the argument uh, on the last day, but you've got a whole team of people who's behind them, who's working to make that happen. And wow. so I was um, on the team for that case uh, from the beginning, from before we even filed a complaint all the way to the Supreme court level. And, um, you know, part of my job too was to um, talk to the media and be out there explaining the case and talking about that, which was not something I'd ever done at that level before. So that was a huge learning yeah. experience for me and was, you know, it was amazing on the day when we got the decision, we knew it was going to come down that day. And so I was actually in the Supreme Court cafeteria with a bunch of my colleagues waiting to find out what was going to happen. And we got the news and we actually were watching it. I pointed at my computer because we were actually watching the live blog happen to find out what was happening. And then we went outside, um, you know, with our paper copies of the brief that you can get from the press office and, you know, announced the win and talked to the media. And it was just, you know, it's surreal to think you, you know, suddenly you just kind of stepped into this, um, the setting and stepped into this event and then you see what happens with it. So it was, it was amazing. I'm really thankful and blessed that I was able to be part of that. Um, it was also really interesting kind of seeing what the follow-up to that was um, and how different people thought about it. You know, some people were really supportive, like, yeah, that's great. And a lot of people thought that was terrible and awful. Um, what was really interesting to me was the different way that people interacted on Facebook versus Twitter. And this was like a huge lesson to me about social media and how we think about people on Facebook. Everybody was very respectful to me because they all knew me. And so yeah. even though I have friends who thought this was a terrible decision, were really disappointed and it was completely wrong. They were very respectful to me, you know, even in saying this is wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, and then on Twitter, it was like, you know, just trolls, just, you know, 
Oh my you know, all these terrible things and you know wishing biblical plagues on me and just nasty stuff and oh my gosh crazy stuff and i realized you know what on twitter i'm not a person like i'm not a human being i am just a symbol of something that happened that you're not happy about yeah and it was amazing to me to see how differently people act when we're thinking about hey here's a human being i know and i like at least i hope they like me and wow, she's wrong about that, but she's a human being versus, oh my goodness, here's this crazy person talking about this idea. She must be crazy. Wow. That, uh, I, I know that some of us have, well, most of us have seen things decided from far off, right? We're watching in the news. We see the big news comes out and we're in, we all have our opinions, our reactions, but being in that place while the arguments are taking place or even just, I mean, we've only seen pictures. Have we even seen pictures? I don't know. Do they even allow pictures in the Supreme court? No, you, they have sketch artists. That's right. That's what we've always seen. Come in with the sketch pad and do it. And they just put the sketch up on TV. So that, that has to be a really humbling experience to, I mean, thinking about how many uh, cases have been decided in the history of our government right there. That has to be a very humbling experience. It is. It's really exciting. And, you know, you, you go in there and sit down and there's just this, you know, like tension in the air when you're waiting for a big case and everybody in the room is waiting and waiting to see what the, what the court's going to say. And they come out and they start and, you know, and off you go. And, you know, uh, as the viewer, you know, you're sitting there in your very uncomfortable seats, just watching all this and you can't jump up and say anything and just (laughs) hoping that it's all going to turn out. Okay. It was, you know, it was really interesting this past week. Um, we had another Supreme Court argument that one of my colleagues did, but it was done via teleconference. And so that's been a completely different experience. It's so strange to be sitting, you know, here where I'm sitting now and just listening to it on my computer and, you know, just that wow. being so removed and so far away from everyone. Um, it's a, it's just surreal. And yeah, there's a lot of surreal things that are happening right, right now. So you talked about the trolls on Twitter and, um, how they come out and because they're only seeing you, like you said, they're seeing you as a symbol of or the representative of something they don't like. If they could see past that particular label, what would you want them to see? You know, that's, that's a great question. Honestly, it's less about me. Um, and just more about my clients. I think that you, um, again, you sort of make heroes and villains out of people and you think of them as either, you know, the heroic fighters going for this or the terrible person trying to, you know, hurt somebody else. And that's the way that, you know, the green family gets treated with Hobby Lobby. And, you know, I think at the, at the end of the day, what you have is a family and a group of people who are trying to live out their faith and have a very deep commitment and are wrestling as we all do with the best way to do that, the best way to honor God and to, you know, to live and to practice what you preach. And so I think that that's, that was a really good lesson for me too, to realize when I'm on the other side of things and I'm really um, frustrated or I think something, you know, a case somebody's brought is just terrible or even not, you know, not even a case, just a, a political issue or something's going on. I really strongly disagree with that. No, these are human beings on the other side who 
in most cases are just trying to do what they think is best. I think they're totally wrong about what they think is best, but we have to be able to recognize that common humanity in each other. Yes. Um, One of the things that I've been thinking about and wanting to ask you, although I understand this isn't a legal opinion, but you know, there's all the talk right now about the governments and keeping you know, the governors are not allowing churches to meet and all of these things. I mean, we, even at our church, uh, we, it, we're a little different up here in Northern Virginia, but at the same time, we still have people who are like, we need to stand against this. We need to fight against this, this idea that we are, our religious uh, practices are being suppressed. Does that fall in line with what you guys are saying? Or would you say, or what you defend, or would you say that this is probably not that at all? So I think it's, I think it's a complicated question and there's no easy answers. How's that for a lawyer answer for that's, you? That's lovely. Um, that's so, perfect. <laughs> but I, you know, I'm actually, I'm really glad we're having this conversation because, you know, in terms of like what my family's doing, we were staying here and, um, and I, you know, saying quarantined before the governor came out and said, you need to quarantine, you know, um, my daughter's school had shut down or, you know, gone to online learning and, we just thought that's what what's best for our family and that's what we're going to do. And so, you know, we haven't chose to, chosen to do exactly what the law says to do. We chose to do what was best for our family. And so I'm really sympathetic to those saying, hey, we just need to, you know, stay locked down, stay in quarantine. That's what we've done. On the other hand, I'm glad that there are voices on the other side saying, hey, we need to question this. We need to question how much sense this makes. And we need to think about the other impacts and effects that this is having on people, you know, outside of just COVID and be sensitive to that. And so I don't really fall, you know, neatly on one side or the other of that debate. Um, That's kind of my personal answer to the question. Legally, I think you have to look at um, what are the, you know, what are the government's interests? They're usually really strong when it comes to something like preventing infections in a pandemic. On the other hand, what kind of religious exercise are you talking about? You know, are you talking about a thousand people getting together in close quarters for worship? Are you talking about, you know, an AA meeting that meets in a church that a small group of people go to to get support? Maybe they can do that in a socially distanced way. And so I think the harder questions actually come not during like the first part of the quarantine, but later as we start to open up. And we start to figure out, okay, here are things that can be open. Here are things that are still going to be closed. Here's how many people we're going to have. And so then legally the question is, well, how are you treating churches and houses of worship in that? And are you treating them in a way that's really um, equal with other types of gatherings that poses the same risk? What are the risks they pose? And I think you have to look at it through the lens of what are the specific risks? And then are you treating things equally with those risks or are you kind of treating some types of risks more favorably than others? Wow. That's good wisdom, man. Being able to think through both sides of that, you know, here's something that we're doing as a family personally. I mean, what you said hit me square in the, in the middle of the eyes that I'm glad that people are questioning things. I'm glad that people are saying, okay, is there something going on here? Cause what is it? There's a local newspaper around here that says uh, democracy dies in darkness. You know, when we're blind sheep and we just kind of go along with things. I mean, I can't tell you how many times over the last couple of weeks I've heard people referred to as you sheeple. 
you know, and people, you know, sheep and these things. And just, you're just doing whatever the government says. And, and I've pushed against that in my own mind going, well, I'm reading and questioning things, but I'm not jumping off to conclusions, but it's, it really is, I think a fair thing. What you were saying is that it's a fair question to ask. Well, and I think it's so hard to have these conversations because, you know, I feel like both sides just kind of retreat to their camps and it all becomes about you want people to die. No, you want the government to oppress us, which is not what either side is saying. Right. No. And I think, again, we have to, we have to think about each other and look at each other as human beings and understand that this is hard and it's complicated and it's hard and complicated for all of us. And we're not all going to agree. Mm -mm. It has never happened in the history of humanity that we have all agreed the question is, how do we work this out to be able to, you know, live together and operate together as a group and as a society? Yeah, absolutely. How how do we do what's mutually beneficial is mm-hmm. is the one question that I keep asking my kids when they're having arguments. I'm okay, what is mutually <laughs> beneficial here? And that's not helping many things. They're like, I just want you to choose my side, Dad. And one of the things that um, you mentioned that I'm I've really just been drawn more and more into is that, you know, in general, Christians are typically known for what they're against. We're very rarely known for what we're for. Uh, what is the one thing that if you were to walk away from and go, here's the, here's the thing as a Christian that I am for. Oh goodness. That's a really hard question. I know. I probably um, should have give you a prep on that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, something that I want people to know that I'm for is I want to see our churches to be able to come together in community and in love of God and in love of Christ. And I, I think we're so tempted to think that we all have to agree in order to make stuff work. And I'm realizing that that's never going to happen. You can sit around your whole life waiting for it. And instead, it's being able to come together and build a community and serve God together, even when we don't agree, that makes some really extraordinary things happen. And so, you know, I hope that I get to play a small part in that. And uh, that, to me, is really exciting. It's one of the amazing things about Christianity. That was fantastic. So, all right. Personal question. During quarantine, what has been the most thing, the thing that you've enjoyed the most about being every day at home? Yoga pants every day. <laughs> wow. um, <laughs> You're like, I'm, I'm, I'm in a Supreme Court online thing. I'm wearing yoga pants. They don't know that. <laughs> True story. I actually put on one of my good work dresses for the uh, Supreme Court argument. The rest of the time, it's yoga pants. That's awesome. Um, but <laughs> You know, I actually have been, in all seriousness, um, I've appreciated having more time with my family, um, too much time many times. But, you know, living in Northern Virginia, we have long commutes. We're running back and forth to everybody's different events. We get home. We've got more work to do after the kids go to bed. And, you know, it's, it's really busy right now. But at the same time, I appreciate that we are all here together. And we're not going off and doing all these other things. And so even though it's hard, um, I think I'm going to look back and I'm really going to appreciate this time with my husband and with my kids. Yeah. That's been the story that we've had at our home. We're just like, you know, 
the kids are never going to forget this and they may, but we won't. Um, there have been some moments where we want to send them to Jesus, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's been, it's been really enjoyable. Um, and you know, I talked to Sammy uh, young uh, just a couple of weeks ago and uh, Sammy is an avid star Wars fan and, um, and you and your husband are as well. This is true. And so, um, you know, someone I think commented, they were listening to the conversation with Sammy and I, and they said, you know, listening to uh, Sammy talk is the only time, or when he's talking about his favorite Star Wars movie is when they were like, you know, you actually kind of make Star Wars seem kind of cool. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> wow. But um, so uh, have you guys uh, enjoyed any Star Wars time during this Corona? I mean, there's not been a whole lot out, but. There's not been a whole lot. So we have been watching the new Mandalorian behind the scenes series. Which has been which has been entertaining. It's been nice to have like something new during yes. quarantine. This is the way. <laughs> oh my this word! This is the way. It's so great. Well, Lori, thank you so much for uh, spending part of your busy day with me, and uh, thank you for um, being a bright light in a dark world. And you're being a bright light as a Christian to many people. And so, thank you for that. Uh, thank um, you, Robin. Thank you so much for inviting me to come and have a conversation. It's nice to <laughs> it's nice to have a chat, and it's nice yes. to talk to somebody beyond just my family. I know. Hey, friends, this is Robin. Thank you so much for listening to the Humanity of Christianity podcast today. I began this podcast because I wanted to facilitate conversations that will help those in and outside of the church see beyond labels and focus on the people who are followers of Jesus by telling their stories. If you like what you hear, Please leave a review or a like and share this with other people. Thank you so much for being a part of the conversation.